We now come to our sermon, and I'm excited for this new sermon series. I really love the Psalms of Ascent, and our first one this morning is Psalm 120. Psalm 120. It's printed for you in your bulletin, or if you have your Bible. We're reading from the New International Version translation. If you've got a different one, there may be uh, a couple of different translation uh, options that are made there. Um, but that's what we've got printed for us in the bulletin. So here it is. Psalm 120, God's Word, good, beautiful, and true. A song of ascents. I call on the Lord in my distress, and He answers me. Save me, Lord, from lying lips and from deceitful tongues. What will He do to you? And what more besides you deceitful tongue? He will punish you with warrior's sharp arrows, with burning coals, with a broom brush. Woe to me that I dwell in Meshach, that I live among the tents of Kedar. Too long have I lived among those who hate peace. I am for peace, but when I speak, they are for me. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word, that in it we see you. That you use it to show us yourself and what you're about. And I pray, Lord, as we see you through your word, that you would show us who we are in you. Show us the beauty and majesty of the Lord Jesus Christ and cause our hearts to love him and cling to him all the more. I pray this in the name of Jesus. This is going to sound like I'm talking about some ancient history, but when Angel and I started dating in 2001, I didn't have a cell phone, I didn't have an email address, and so we started dating, and about two weeks after we started dating, she flew to Colorado Springs for a semester internship, and I'm here in eastern North Carolina, she's in Colorado Springs, so how are we going to talk? Well, we ran up some crazy phone bills for a couple months, and then we got phone cards, um, but the other thing we did is we wrote letters, literally letters, every single day, put them in the mail. We'd include things in the letters, and one of my favorite things to do was to make mixtapes. Mixtapes. The playlist. And I would pour over, I'd pull all my CDs out, and I'd look at them, and I'd think, I'd, I'd go meticulously, okay, how am I going to, what songs am I going to pick? What order am I going to put them in? In my mind, I was going to take Angel on this musical journey of our love. Had to like get the songs in the right order. And in my mind, she was going to sit in her bedroom and press play and just listen to it. Of course, that isn't how anybody listens to music. But um, that was my mind. And, and, and I'd write uh, details as to why this song was here. Why is this song first? What does this song mean to me? Those kinds of things. Again, I was creating a musical journey, and the first song was always one of the most important. Because in my mind, the first song set the tone. The first song set the tone for everything that came after it was the first step. I mention that because the Psalms of Ascent that we're going to be looking at this summer, it's like a playlist. It's like a mixtape in the middle of the Bible. It's a mini song book in the Psalms, Psalm 120 to 134. And it's a playlist of traveling songs. These were traveling songs sung by people who were leaving their ordinary day-to-day lives to travel to Jerusalem. In the time of the Psalms, that the Psalms were written, faithful Jewish folks, three times a year, would drop everything. And they would travel to Jerusalem for a festival. Passover, Pentecost, and Tabernacles. Those three festivals. And they'd be there a week, and they'd celebrate, and they'd worship. And everything else came to a halt. Everything else had to bend around this spot in their calendar. And the Psalms of Ascent, they were the songs that people sang as they were setting out and on their way to these great festivals. And Psalm 120 is the first song in the playlist. It's track one. It's our first steps. And like all good mixtapes or good playlists, this first song, it leads an impression. But it's not upbeat. 
It's not an upbeat song. It's not a happy song. It's a song that starts in distress and it ends in rumors of war. But in a much better way than the mixtapes I made back in 2001, the songs of ascent take us on a journey as well. They're meant to be read together. Psalm 120 is not by itself. It's the first song in a playlist. And it takes us on a journey and tells a story that begins in distress, but it ends with the healing and the peace of God. It begins with rumors and wars. It begins with the ups and downs of traveling in our world to find our all in God. And it ends at home with peace with Him. But before we get there, before we get to Psalm 134, we start here. We begin here. And Psalm 120 begins with a holy discontent. So I'm going to break my sermon up into a couple different sections, and that's the first one this morning. A holy discontent. Are you tired? I am. I'm exhausted. And I'm mean emotionally, intellectually, I'm exhausted. Now, I'm smart enough not to say it's never been this bad before. I've only lived 38 years. And I've read enough history books. It has been worse before. <laughs> but the last few years, y'all, it's an age of disinformation. It's an age of, of violence. It feels like we turn on the news and there's more and more violence. There's more and more lies. I feel at least pinned in and squeezed in on every side. By this, and I'm exhausted. This song is written by and sung by a person who's exhausted, who's looked around their world and they've seen violence and war, and they're exhausted from lies and idle words. The distress is all around him, it's inside of him, it's squeezing him from every side. In fact, that's what he means in verse 5 when he speaks about dwelling in Meshach and living among the tents of Kedar. That would be physically impossible. Those two places are removed from each other, like New York to Miami. You can't live in both places. But what he's saying is, I am surrounded by this. And I feel squeezed in. And I can't travel to the north. I can't travel to the south. I cannot get away from these lies. I cannot get away from this violence. And I am exhausted. I'm surrounded by it. It's the water I swim in. It's the air I breathe. I cannot escape. Ever felt that way? Of course you have. This profound sense that something's not right. That we're being worn out in the world we live in. Things are not the way they're supposed to be, that there's something fundamentally crooked. Now, I think that this is a common experience, not just for Christians. I think it's a common experience for human beings to feel like something is wrong. And we hate it. We hate this feeling because, of course, we do. Of course, we do. And what do we do with it? Most of us try to numb ourselves, maybe, or distract ourselves with drugs, alcohol, sets, video games, whatever. We try to distract ourselves from it. Or other people try to ignore it. With, with a kind of optimism, with a faith over fear that tries to downplay or disregard the reality of the world we live in. But I don't think any of those are the answer, not distraction or this like blind optimism. Why? Because I think that all of those see this feeling of holy discontent and they think that the feeling's the problem. That the problem's with me and I need to just stop feeling discontent in the reality of our world. And that's not true. I'd say that this feeling is a holy discontent. To look around our world and to feel exhausted. I think if we don't feel that way, that something's wrong sometimes. You know, that was certainly the experience of Jesus. Jesus would have sung this song, by the way, in his life. That was certainly the experience of Jesus. You read through the Gospels, Jesus didn't float through this world unbothered. He didn't have this, like, 
false stoic aura about him as he floated through and he saw pain? No. What does the Bible call him? When God came into this world to join us in our experience as one of us, what was his experience? The Bible calls him a man of sorrows. A man of great grief. A guy that it said he would get so good that he had to get away to lonely and desolate places in the, in the words of the Gospel of Mark to collect himself and to pray. Think about it. He had made this world as a theater for his glory. And when he comes, it's a theater for violence and for sin. And as an aside, before I move on, uh, you know, sometimes we feel like we shouldn't feel this discontent in the reality of our world. But if God did not experience it and come away unscathed, we should expect to either. He was profoundly bothered. Something is profoundly wrong. And discontent in our world is the right response. It's why Jesus declared a blessing in Matthew 5 when he starts speaking in the Sermon on the Mount. What does he say? Not blessed are those who are never bothered. He said, blessed are you who are poor in spirit. Yours is the kingdom of heaven. He says, blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek or the humble. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. He pronounces a blessing upon weakness and sadness and longing for something to be different because those things are not vices. They are signs that we know in our bones something is not right. We're not made to inhabit the lies and the violence of our world. This is a holy discontent. Now I think we see that in our passage in Psalm 120, the way he talks about his experience. But notice he's not chided. There's not a voice coming in saying, yeah, I don't feel that way. Stop complaining. That doesn't happen. He's not told to, you know, don't worry, be happy or whatever. No, this holy discontent is in fact an inherent and essential part of his faith. This discontent is what turns him toward God. Which brings me to my second section. The hope of a different way. The hope of a different way. Or what the Bible calls repentance. You know, I used to hate the word repentance. I grew up in church. It's a word I've heard a lot, but I hated that word. And I don't, I think I always felt like a um, condemnation, a final verdict. Like, you idiot. Repent, you idiot, is what it felt like to me. So I disliked it, because it always felt like a final, final verdict, fundamentally a word of condemnation, but it's not. The word repentance is not primarily a word of condemnation, it's a word of hope. It's a word of hope, because when we hear repent, it means that another world is possible. Another way is possible. And so when Jesus arrives on the scene, and the first thing he says in the Gospel of Mark is repent because the kingdom of God is here. He's not saying, you bunch of idiots, you should have got this right by now. He's saying, I know you're exhausted. And I know you exhaust other people too. <laughs> I know you're exhausted by the world you inhabit, but repent in great hope because the kingdom of God is here. The rest of God that he invites us into in Matthew 11 that we read in the call to worship. Jesus comes announcing that a different way is possible. That we don't have to be worn out and torn up by the lies and violence of our world. And there's another place to go to. It's a calling out to us. To turn away from all that's running us ragged and using us up and come to God. The God of life, the God of hope, the God who is love. 
Psalm 20 models that for us. The distress that the psalmist, that the singer has experienced has caused him to call out to God for rescue. His holy discontent has convinced him that he cannot close his eyes to the reality of his world, but he needs salvation. He needs truth in the lies. He needs a pathway of peace in the midst of war. He needs a promise that the final word about him will not be these lies. That this exhaustion is not his home and not his destiny. He needs to know that God will deal with injustice. To know that the lies will be exposed. He speaks about that. That's what's coming to deceitful tongues. That justice will be done. That lies will be exposed and dealt with. And think about it. That's what Jesus did in his life when he came. God comes in the flesh and He speaks God's truth. God comes in the flesh and He uses His hands not to destroy, but to heal. And what are the greatest minds that could be put together in the religious world and the greatest minds that could be put together in the political world do when Jesus came? The greatest we had to offer colluded to snuff out the light of God. Our best thinking, our best minds could only say, this has got to stop. This has got to stop. But it wasn't enough for Jesus just to come and tell the truth. It wasn't enough for him just to come and walk in peace. He didn't just do that. He faced the reality of our world. The psalm speaks about what's coming from the lies of our world. It speaks about judgment. That they won't win the day. That justice will happen. That the lies will be exposed and handled. But in the plot twist of plot twist in the life of Jesus, he's the one that comes and faces the judgment that we deserve. The reality of what our world is is exposed in His crucifixion when God is, when humanity literally attempts to kill God when He's here. It's bankrupt. Our political systems, our religious systems, they're, they're bankrupt. And it's exposed right there. But what does Jesus do? He says, This place in my experience of injustice, I, in the words of the Apostle Paul, explaining it decades later, I am taking on sin. I am becoming sin. I am going to face the justice of God against the reality of the sin of this world. And what am I going to do in turn? In turn, I'm going to offer my people justification. I'm going to tell my people, I am taking your sin and I'm giving you my righteousness. So you don't have to try to earn your way in some strange thing in the wickedness of this world. He's saving us from this present evil age in the words of Galatians 1 that we spoke about. And in the midst of this world, we can see ourselves and know ourselves in the truth of God is righteous in the sight of God by faith. That in this great exchange, Jesus takes the reality and the judgment of our sin on His shoulders and He in turn tells us there's no more wrath to be poured out against our sin. None at all. All that remains for us is the grace of God. That's it. The unending, unending fountain of God's grace. And in the face of that, I mention all this because in the face of that, how can we do anything but repent? Turn from the ugliness and the reality of sin in this world and turn to the life-giving God. In the face of this incredible love, we can turn to find a different way forward. And that's because repenting isn't just turning from. I always heard it described that way. People would say repentance. What does repentance mean? It means turning around. That's not what repentance in the face of Jesus Christ means. It doesn't just mean turning from something. It means turning to something. 
Or better yet, it means turning from something to turning to someone. Repentance is never just about seeing the reality of our sin and the wrong of this world and turning away from it. Because that's us just trying to you know, work up our own energy and pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps and turn away and say, if I really mean it this time, I can turn around. Maybe that's why I didn't like the word repentance, because it felt like another thing to do. Like, you idiot. <laughs> I keep saying that. But it's what it felt like in my heart. The reality of the word repentance, it means you can turn from this. This is exhausting you. But God is showing you who he is in Jesus Christ. And there is an open door right here to turn from that and turn to him. It's turning from a fountain of poison that only wears us away to find the fountain of goodness that is Jesus Christ. So we can repent of the lies that we've told and the lies we've been told. And we can find the truth of God. We can repent of violence and war and the way we've used our hands and our resources to fight against others and we can find in Jesus a different way where we can be people who use our resources for human flourishing, for the good of our neighbor. Psalm 120 shows us that. Psalm 120 shows us that. Not just a holy discontent, but a holy discontent that causes us to turn and find the beauty and the reality of who God is in Jesus Christ. And that leads me to my last section, first steps. This song... As I said at the beginning, it starts in distress and it ends in war. This is not a happy song. It's not. This first track is pretty, uh, is, it's pretty uh, depressing. But this is not the song of one who has seen the ugliness of the world and decided to stay there. This is a song of someone who, in the words of Tom Petty, has said it's time to move on. It's time to get going. They've seen the reality of what it is here. And are turning away. This is the song of a pilgrim who has set out to find home. And as that, this song isn't a song just to put on repeat. It's a song that leads to the next songs in this playlist. The holy discontent of first steps in a journey that begins here but does not end here. I remind you again, Psalm 120 is the first song on a mini playlist on an album and a songbook that ends in Psalm 134. And that last song in the playlist, that last song, it ends in blessing. It ends in the presence of God. And what the Psalms of Ascent tell us is that the discontent of this world is true. What we feel in our bones, that's true. Don't drive it away, but it's not final. It's not final. Discontent are the first steps to turn us to the God who can satisfy. You know, this song was sung by travelers, but not just travelers going anywhere. I've already mentioned it. At the time this song was written, the people of God, three times a year, they literally stopped everything. Society shut down. You couldn't keep people at work. Society shut down and everybody went to Jerusalem. And these festivals were the thing that everything else in the calendar had to form itself around. Everything else. And what it was teaching God's people was that God was leading them to rest. It was, like a, a, it was like muscle memory. It was like going to the gym to learn that, you know, you're exhausted by this world where we're going to learn this muscle memory of moving from the reality and the problems in this world and turning to a God. And it wasn't just, hey, let's go have a party for a week, three times a year in Jerusalem. I mean, they were great parties. They were great festivals. They were great feasts and moments of worship. But they were telling God's people not just that they were, had something in the future on the calendar to go to Jerusalem. 
They were telling God's people, your home is with God who's making all things new. And you're being able to stop in the midst of all the things that are calling for your allegiance and to rest in Him, that's just building a foretaste. It's building, it's building an appetite for the reality of what God is doing, making all things new. And so when the travelers would set out for these festivals, they would start with this song. This was the song they pressed play on as they were heading out the door. They began by looking at the weariness and knowing they needed something else. They needed the presence and the promise of the life-giving God. And so they would sing this song as they set out on their way. And all this was a big reminder, again, that God's people's home is with Him. Their rest is Him. So what of us, as we're in closing this morning, what is our hope? What does this song that's thousands of years old have to say to us? We can't even listen to it. We can just read the words. We don't have the tune. It's this. So we read this morning, this should stir our hearts with a sense of hope. To remind us that the ugliness we see around us and the ugliness we see in us is not all there is. And it does not have the final word. To remind us that God has shown us who He is and His intentions for us in Jesus Christ. Jesus who came to inhabit our world. That we might not struggle through this distress alone. Jesus who wore our grief, who took on our suffering to let us know that even in that, even in the darkest parts of our experience, we are not alone. We are not unseen. Jesus who came to dwell with us, not just temporarily, but to remind us that our home is not a place where we, for us to feel pulled apart and crushed. Our home is with the life-giving God who's making all things new. And that's our destiny. That's the pathway. That's where we're going. Here's the bad news this morning, friends. If we dig deep, deep enough, we'll realize that we are those who trade in lies. We are those who deal in hostility and violence. In big ways and small ways, we are those who have wronged people and betrayed them. And we've hated peace. The bad news is you are a far worse sinner than you could ever imagine. But the good news is this. In Jesus, you are far more loved than you could ever dream the good news is this, that God has come in Jesus Christ and He doesn't just say, hey, try a little bit harder. And He comes to us in our world of darkness to turn us from the things that can never satisfy, to win us to Himself. And that's what's left for us. To turn from the things that are wearing us out, to find ourselves carried along by Him, to trust in Him, and find His grace sufficient because it is. And He'll lead us home. So the invitation for us this morning in close. The invitation we have in Psalm 120 and the Psalms of Ascent we'll be looking at this summer is this. Don't stay here. Don't stay in the discontent. Let's turn toward home and let's walk together. Let's go. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you that you don't miss words. That your word's not a place that we go to and we find a, a world we don't understand. But rather when we read it, when we read the distress of the person who wrote this song so many years ago, we recognize ourselves. But as real as that distress is, the hope that we have in you is even more real. So I pray that you would center us on that reality, that you would point us toward it, that you would allow us to walk this together, to turn from the ugliness, to find you, and to walk our whole life long on this pathway. As you prepare us to be people who are going to be for eternity satisfied in the reality of who you are.
pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen.